folks are being priced out of the uh, out of the markets that they've lived in for the last you know one two three decades right they literally can't afford to live where they were born raise their families yeah. and uh yeah. they need alternatives welcome to the next level income show where it's our goal to take your income your investments and your life to the next level i'm your host chris larson if you haven't yet get a copy of our book for free at our website nextlevelincome.com that's www.nextlevelincome.com just click on the book link and i'll even send you a copy if you put your address in on today's show, we welcome back Kevin Bupp. Kevin is the founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which invests in mobile home parks, parking lots, apartments, offices, and single-family homes all across the U.S. He has 16 years of experience in educating investors to locate, acquire, and create higher-than-average returns from the widely misunderstood niche of mobile home park investing. He shares his experience through the Mobile Home Academy and also is the host of the Real Estate Investing for Cashflow podcast, which has become one of the hottest real estate podcasts on iTunes. He's the number one best-selling author of his new book, The Cashflow Investor, How to Create Financial Freedom Investing in Commercial Real Estate. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. It's good seeing you, my friend. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I, um, I'm a little jealous of your hat, I have to say. Um, and it's not because I want one, it's because... If I was wearing that hat, it would say 1978 on it, yeah. which is, yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> hey, buddy, that's all right. I think we were talking about cycling earlier, and I think you're a better yep. cyclist than I am. So, like, it just your age means nothing because uh, I think you're in better shape than I am. <laughs> there's, listen, you know, there's always somebody younger and there's always somebody faster out yeah, there. That's so, true. Um, we could, we could, we could play this game for, for a long time, but, uh, I'd love for you to share, you know, you, you're, you're, uh, one of one of wonderful guests that's come back on the show here um, to join us again. But I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background um, for any of the audience that hasn't heard that first episode. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Uh, and again, thanks for having me back, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been a full I've been a full time real estate investor for for two decades now, and I kind of age myself when I say that. It's it's weird saying that, but um, I got introduced to real estate. I always like to joke that it found me. I didn't find it. Um, so very grateful for that pivotal moment in my life, uh, where uh, you know, ultimately, my first mentor came into my life and kind of showed me the ropes. And again, I wasn't looking for it. It just happened uh, through a ship that I made. And, um, and then here we are 20 plus years later, and it's been a, it's been a fun, fun ride, uh, you know, uh, profitable ride, a ride. I mean, all, all the above. Right. And, um, you know, I got my, I got my start back at 19 and single family, um, really didn't buy my first property till I was 20. So that first year, was really just underneath the, you know, the tutelage of, of a gentleman by the name of David, who happened to be dating my mom or my girlfriend's mom at the time. So just a very random occurrence there, but that's how I met David. And he was a local real estate investor in a small town in Pennsylvania. I grew up in, and you know, he uh, owned single family and small multifamily rentals and um, must've seen something in a 19 year old kid uh, that really didn't have any direction at that point in time. And, and, but saw, saw something there that, that, you know, ultimately, you know, gave him the desire to want to help me along. And, uh, and, and in turn, I helped him grow his business as well. There was some things technology you know, with technology that he just struggled with. Ultimately that's how I added value to his business. But about a year and a half, I, I worked with him in between tending bar and going to school um, and helped him wherever he help. And, uh, uh, a year and a half into that, I bought my first property with $7,000. I saved up from tending bar and uh, it was in a really uh, not so great part of town, really run down property, leveraged a lot of the resources that I had, um, you know, met through David over that year and a half, you know, contractors, hard money lenders, lenders, things of that nature, and uh, got that project done. And what I realized, Krista, very shortly thereafter that is David's model 
had been kind of baking for like 20 years, right? And uh, he had mm -hmm. a lot of buy and hold rentals. That was his business model. What I realized very quickly is that if I just held this one property, I, I, I did rent it. And if I just simply had and saved up the couple hundred dollars a month of positive cash flow, that it would take me a very, very long time to ever buy that again. Uh, where I grew up, there wasn't a lot of appreciation. I obviously had built equity in that deal, but not necessarily enough to do a cash out refi and literally keep you know, turning around and, and compounding those efforts. And so I, I realized very quickly that I needed to um, simply wholesale, learn how to wholesale, wholesale a couple of properties, keep one, wholesale a couple of properties, keep one. That's what I did for, for, for many, many years, I guess the first couple of years. And then ultimately I was able to uh, build up enough of a business and, um, and network base to where we could start keeping prior holding properties, had a number of private lenders we worked with and um, built a pretty large portfolio of single family properties, uh, you know, a hundred and, 20 plus, um, you know, in That's my I guess, early to mid twenties and started buying multifamily property. Um, shortly thereafter that really saw, um, some inefficiencies with the single family model that, um, could be eliminated by, by, you know, by buying multiple doors underneath one roof or, you know, in a concentrated area. And, um, and then fast forward to today, you know, in that period to today, I've owned retail, I've owned office, I've owned self-storage, um, in 2010, uh, got introduced to mobile home parks, um, bought my first mobile home park, 2011. I've been buying those ever since. I really love that asset class. We're buying them today. That's where most of our holdings is. And then aside from that one niche that we recently, uh, dove into is parking assets. So parking lots and parking garages and very specific MSAs and, uh, and markets and Anyway, that's kind of like a 20-year condensed version. Um, obviously, had some trials and tribulations in the middle of all that. 2008 was a very challenging time, but um, been at it, been at it full time now for again, you know, 20 plus years, and it's been a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, no, you've seen a, you've seen a lot, and it's um, I think it's an awesome story because I think a lot of people listen and they're like, wait, you know, how 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 do, how do you get to this point where you're buying these these huge properties. But you know, I started with that one single family. You started with a single family rental. That's one of the amazing things about real estate is that, you know, you can leverage a small amount of money mm -hmm. and, and resources into, into a lot. Um, but one of the things I'd love to talk about today, Kevin, is, you know, you went through the great recession. I think a lot of real estate investors today, especially, you know, the younger generation, they haven't seen that mm -hmm. type of recession. Um, you know, I'd love to hear some of the, the lessons you learned from that you know, kind of where you see us today in the economic cycle and, you know, how, how are you preparing for that? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. A um, couple of questions there. We'll try to dissect it. And I, yeah. I'll start by saying that, um, you know, the housing crash last time around, you know, the, the underlying fundamentals and the, the base of all of it was very different, just a very different time. And, and, and what I mean by that is, for example, we owned all of our property down here in Florida, uh, the West coast of Florida, you know, over a, about five different counties, which is an absolute thriving area today. And even back then it was a thriving area. Unfortunately, back then the big difference was that we had a surplus of rooftop. Um, we had a, in, in addition to that paired with that, we had a lot of um, subprime loans. Anyone that could fall a mirror could essentially get a loan. And so rooftops were being built for folks that never intended to live in a home and, uh, or they were being built for a population that was supposedly coming to Florida and, uh, essentially all that just disappeared. Um, those loans went in default builders that had rooftops that were being built ended up with just a massive surplus of not just hundreds of homes, but thousands of homes. And, um, very different challenge back then to today, because today we've got a massive shortage. I mean, literally I, yeah. I, I read something the other week that if all the major home builders, you know, 
H&B Homes of the world, if all the major national home builders doubled down today and doubled down for the next 10 years, we still wouldn't be able to meet that demand. Yeah, for yeah, I think uh, I just complete opposite. Yeah, I just did a podcast on this. I think we're uh, it's it's over four million units short. You know, you add the multifamily, the storage, and I think you make a phenomenal point. You know, we're we're at this period where you know coming into oh eight oh nine, we had this massive building you know glut, and Mm -hmm. then we just stopped building, and we never really restarted at those same levels, and then you have. the millennial generation that's now forming households mm-hmm. and the baby boomers were the biggest generation in history. But if you add all the millennials up, they're even bigger and we just can't satisfy yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so I, and again, just, uh, I think we're in a very different scenario. I'd say the, I th- one of the biggest things that we look at nowadays when we look at deals yeah. is just, if you're looking at an opportunity today, the cap, I think the capital markets are the biggest threat. You know, what, what type of leverage do you have in place? And all, no one can, no one's got the crystal ball to look out five years. And so whatever type of debt you're putting on the day and you know, how leveraged you are in that particular asset, I think is where the risk comes into, in, in, into the equation. And so really, I always like to, I always like to say that there's really only one thing that can absolutely you know, kill a deal. Uh, if, if you own an if, if you own an asset and you're managing it properly, is the actual debt is being over leveraged or having debt come due, Great and point. not being able to actually get new debt put in place or pick up any of the um, deficiency. If you got to bring more equity to the table, yeah. you know that 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 happened. That happened last time around, and so. Um, well, you could really get ninety five percent leverage with you yeah, know, practically yeah, but, nothing. All kinds of but crazy but even stuff. then I think there's a lot of uh, just being really conscious of you know getting into bridge type debt at this point in time you know point, a lot yeah. a lot of value add deals um, you surely if you're if the equity is going to be locked up you surely don't want to tie like a Fannie or Freddie agency loan in place in the front end and then have that equity locked up for years where you've got defeasance or some type of um, significant prepay right and so there's not many other options so I think it's just being very cautious of getting into these 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 shorter term deals to where. Um, they're IRR driven where you've got to get in and out of them and, and two to three years in, in order to hit that target. Because again, if we look back like three or four months, I think some folks would have argued that we would have been at this point where rates are. And now the feds, you know, they've got another meeting coming up. Probably going to, we're going to see another bump at that point in time. Half the, half the, half the population would have argued that like, they're not going to push them that aggressively at some point, they're going to have to put the brakes on sooner rather than later. And that is not happening. And we're, yeah. we're not doing a great job at tampering inflation just yet. And so like, I think we've got a little bit more of a bumpy ride to go. And so I'm um, just being conscious of like what that, what your exit looks like on that opportunity. And in great the event point. that you can't exit out of it at your desired cap rate and you got to recap it, what's the case scenario, what's your cliff look like there? And just being yeah. very conservative. Um, and that might mean that you miss, you might, you might lose deals. Like you might get outbid by someone that is just a little bit more aggressive than you. I just, I feel like there's always the next opportunity. There's always the next deal. And so if it ultimately you're getting in something that's incredibly thin and there's e- even a remote chance of, of risk there that, um, that you might not be able to execute in that business plan. Um, then us, I'm a little different though. I had challenges in 08, so I'm more conservative than most. I'd rather just wait for the next deal. That's kind of how I feel. So that, and we've always run our business that way though, you know, my, and, and there's been many times, Chris, where my business partner will, you know, he, he, he's a little younger than I, he did not go through that last period of time. And so, um, he didn't personally ever experience it. And so he hoped and say, you know, I, th- I think we're leaving, we're leaving an opportunity on the table here. And I'm like, there'll be another one that comes along. Right. And, yeah. and he'll look back and argue with me and say, we would have done really well on that. I'm like, fair rising tide lifts all boats. 
Yeah. Everyone did really well over the last seven, eight years. And if you didn't, then you should probably find another line of work to be in. But I just know that um, always be that next opportunity and uh, I'm willing to wait for it and just want to be a steward of our investors capital and ensure that I preserve it and put every, every ounce of effort into bring their capital. No, I think that's, that's a fantastic rule. And um, one of my favorite authors is a little wonky from a a financial perspective is Nassim Taleb. And he wrote several books, but I think his most popular is Mm anti-fragile. And in that book, now he's talking more about wall street and he talks about how, you know, wall street has this short memory because these traders get blown out. The new generation comes in. They don't, they don't remember. I think we're seeing that with real estate right now. Um, but his saying is don't get blown out. he says, have a strategy where you are able to get up and you're able to play the game the next day. You know, what you mentioned, Kevin, you know, having adequate cash flows, having adequate reserves, not being over leveraged. If you follow those rules, you can keep playing that game, not just for five years, but for 50 years. Yeah. 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 Make sure that your strategy has longevity, not just a plan A, but a plan B and probably a plan C as well. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so, you know, I, I know a lot of investors are nervous right now. You know, I was just, just talking to some before uh, our podcast here today and, you know, it's like, okay, this is what we're seeing. You know, this is, these are the things that we're doing. You know, we're, we're buying a property. It's less than 60% leveraged, you know, a little bit lower returns because you got a little bit less leverage on that deal, but it's safer and, you know, we can cash flow it for a lot longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're about to go into 2023, Kevin. You know, I, I think we can guess if we kind of look behind you here, um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what your company is looking at in terms of favorable assets, you know, going into 2023 that you feel are going to be recession resistant. Yeah. I mean, we love mobile home parks. I mean, again, we, we can all, I think we can all agree everyone that's uh, listening in here that there is a massive affordable housing crisis and it's yeah. been accelerated over the last uh, two years since, uh, since COVID hit. And so while, you know, mobile home parks always have performed well. Uh, they've performed incredible. Well. Now, folks are being priced out of the uh, out of the markets that they've lived in for the last you know yeah. one, two, three decades. Right? They literally can't afford to live where they were born, raise their families, yeah. and uh, yeah. they need alternatives. And so, mobile home parks, you know, manufacture housing do a phenomenal job of filling that void. Um, they give, they give an opportunity to someone that still just wants to be a renter. There's renters by choice, or there's folks that are still forced to be a renter. So there's options there, but also those that, that choose to be a homeowner, um, that, that are on a somewhat limited budget that, that want to own their own home, that want to have with their own roof over their head and put their Christmas lights and pull their car next to their, their, their mobile home and have a carport and things like that. Right. Don't want to let their live in an apartment. So, um, mobile homes are phenomenal in good times and they're even better in downturn. So they, they performed incredibly well during the last recessionary period. So we love mobile home parks for all those reasons. Um, in addition to that, there's a, it's the only asset class the diminishing supply. And so there's more mobile home parks that get redeveloped um, that might be in the path of progress and there's a higher and better use to get redeveloped or maybe just get shut down uh, for one reason or another, then new supply that's coming online. And so you've got this ever increasing demand, um, but a doing the link supply. So it's favorable economics if you actually own the asset. That's and, and I think that's very surprising. You said a couple of things. I think first off, you know, a lot of people, it's like the our mayor was in a meeting with local real estate investors here. And when asked, when talking about affordability and housing and you know what what the city was doing, they're like, oh, we're doing this and this and that. And actually, my my partner asked her, he said, Well, hey, are you are you willing to approve more mobile home parks? Because they're the best option for affordable housing. She just 
immediately said, no, that's not an option and yeah. moved on to the next question. I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize what you just said, Kevin, which is, you know, we're not making more mobile home parks. They're not being approved. No. The supply is going down. But you also said something that I think is eye-opening for a lot of people. You said that not only do mobile home parks perform during good times, but they perform even better, relatively speaking, during bad times. Why, why is that? Again, I mean, even even looking at the apartment rental space, look what's yeah. occurred with rents over the last uh, couple of years. Really, the last two years. Again, COVID yeah. really fueled this, and so yeah. uh, even you know, exploded. We're living crazy. in a C class apartment. You know, if they're yeah. in a desirable marketplace, I mean, the yeah. rent probably went up over twenty percent over the last two years. Maybe more than more likely yeah. more than that, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say best case, you know, twenty percent. Probably yeah, twenty yeah twenty plus worst case, percent thirty forty. Yeah. Yeah. In some markets, they went up over 30 to 40% over two years. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say across the board, we look at our portfolio um, and, and we've got some incredibly nice communities that are probably more akin to, you know, a B plus class um, yeah. and, or even maybe an A minus class, depending um, apartment community, maybe not as new as an A plus, but as far as like yeah. the amenities, the quality of the homes. Yeah. You got some sweet there. properties. And then, you know, and then we've got some stuff that is more definitely, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's in the C grade, but it's, we're, we're servicing a, a blue collar demographic, you know, they're clean, nice parks. They don't have a lot of amenities. They don't have swimming pools and fancy things right. like that. Uh, but generally speaking across the board, when we look at our, our mobile home parks, if we look at, let's, let's say that if we're renting one of the units, most of the time we prefer just to sell the home and rent the lot, but we do have a couple hundred rentals in our portfolio on average if you compare apples to apples, so whatever the comparable apartment is in that market to one of our mobile homes, our mobiles are about 15 to 20% less on a month. It's more than that. If it's in a kind of a hyper growth market where your yep. rents really did go up 40% over the last couple yep. of years, then yep. we're going to be substantially less than that. So it's just a, it's a more affordable, but not lower quality option for, for folks that are again, right. getting priced out of either getting priced out of the market or just maybe they'd love to rent a single family home, but they're, that's way out of, so this is this yeah. allows them to kind of the get, get some of the elements of a single family home. They kind of get their own little yard, their own space, potentially a carport, um, and they don't have a neighbor side of them and above or below them that you might have an apartment. Again, to each his own, but um, it, you know it's uh, it's just a it's a very desirable uh, option for folks that are looking for affordable place for their family. Yeah, no, it's and there's there's really you know there's nothing more affordable, and it's it's wild, you know, because you know Asheville here, I was actually. Uh, I was in a meeting with Ken McElroy and we were talking about affordable mm -hmm. housing and um, Asheville wants more affordable housing, but it's, it's only, it's only apartments and it's hard to yeah. build affordable housing because it's, it's expensive yeah. to build right now. So I love, I love the mobile home park space for affordability. Yeah. DJ Van Kern, it's good to see you. Um, I look forward to talking about the four Institute and your upcoming fall program. I'd love for you to uh, just introduce yourself real quick and tell us a little bit about what it is. Yeah, so uh, DJ Van Karen, and um, uh, I'm the founder of the Four Institute, and then I've also uh, worked for a number of uh, very prominent families on the real estate portfolios. Yeah, we've had uh, DJ on the podcast, and um, DJ works with family offices that are typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, $250 million or more in net worth. And correct. Uh, the Four Institute, I'm super excited for this program that I'm going to be attending. Um, typically, this is information and access to typically only these family offices get, but you're opening this to our investors as well. So we actually, um, it's an executive education program. And in the program, we've put together um, some of the most prominent uh, 
uh, professors around the country and industry experts. So we have professors from Wharton and Harvard and University of Denver, University of Chicago. We have family office and, and real estate uh, experts, and we focus in on you know what it is to, to maintain and, and really generate significant growth through real estate. And uh, it's in a format that's uh, extremely valuable. And, uh, you know, on our front page at 4.institute, not .com, but .com, uh, .institute, you can even see videos of uh, people uh, and their experiences. Awesome. And so I guess, DJ, what, what is someone going to learn that attends this class? Uh, they're going to learn how to uh, analyze opportunities. Um, they're going to understand about market cycles. Where are we in the market cycle and, and what to look, like, look for? Uh, in the various property types. They're going to understand, um, you know, get into some of the issues about maintaining your wealth from, from long-term perspectives, tax strategies for uh, your investments, and um, really how to make better decisions on, on uh, your estate investing. No, I think it's awesome. I think a lot of people have concerns about where we are right now in the economic cycle, what's going to happen to real estate, I follow, you know, one of the faculty, Dr. Miller's quarterly reports to stay on top of these things. And I'll tell you what, it makes it makes me feel a lot more confident knowing this information, knowing historically what has happened and to have access to these faculty, this information. I'm really excited about it. How can people find out more if they want to attend? Yeah, so they go to Ford Institute, which is F-O-R-E for Family Office Real Estate. So it's Ford.info. It's not .com, but it's .institute, so for .institute, and you can click on there to receive a brochure and then sign up for the course. Perfect, and we'll have the links right here um, along with this uh, short video. DJ, it's great to see you. I look forward to seeing you in person here later this month. And you asked why, you know, um, you're, yeah. you're, you're making mention of your friend asked the so was it was a county commissioner or whatever, you know, about and mayor. I won't, I won't, mayor. I won't say, yeah. I won't say that. Yeah. By so, name, but so the mayor yeah, has you to, can, you know, how about yeah. manufactured housing? And honestly, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, for whatever reason we get lumped into one bucket. Yeah. You know, we get lumped into the bucket of just the stereotypical image, mobile home park, trailer trash, that type of thing. And don't get yeah. me that exists. And that exists in every market yeah. but that exists with single family homes. There's really bad neighborhoods. There's really and bad apartments. complexes. Oh, That's yeah. it. So like oh, yeah, you, you, can find, you can find, you can, you can find homes. You can find the middle yep. of the road, which we have yep. that too. And then yep. you can find the really nice a class and we have that too. That's right. Nice. And so yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately we get lumped in that one bucket. And in, in addition to that, you've got the, and it's kind of one of the same, you've got the, you know, the NIMBY syndrome, you know, the not in my backyard. So it's just, again, yeah. that stereotypical image, you know, property values get, you know, get pulled down if a mobile home park gets built in and around uh, my neighborhood or my subdivision. And so there's lots of, lots of negative forces against uh, building new manufactured housing communities. But, um, you know, there's, there, there's been more new developments that have come out of the ground over the last two years and the last two decades combined. So Still, it's got a diminishing supply, but I think I think some some counties, some municipalities are starting get the clue that this could yeah. be a great alternative. But I mean, it's surely not on a mass scale. Not no, no, yeah, and we've and got a mass scale problem. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know it's wild. Like we actually have. Um, yeah, I've seen it in Colorado. I've seen it here. I've seen it in other, other, uh, different markets I've been to. I'm always like looking out and checking, like, what are, what are some cool affordable options? You're seeing these tiny home communities now, mm -hmm. which if you look at it, you're like that tiny home is built on 
on a trailer base. It's yeah. built on, on a base, but you know, you're talking about a, a, a tiny or micro home, 200 square feet. And sometimes they're, they're smaller. They're not even as nice as some of these, you know, trailer parks, but those are cool. We got TV shows about them and doing that. And they're it's trendy. They're trendy, but it is, it's a, it, you're really talking about the same thing. I think it's a really, it's a really great option for people that, um, you know, or, I mean, it's some of these are, I've, I've been in these tiny homes. They're like they're super not, nice. They're not affordable though. That's the thing. Have you ever had the not per square foot? Them? No, yes, no, not per square foot. Yes, not per square yeah, they, foot. They're not, they affordable. are not so affordable it's, it's almost, per square foot. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a completely yeah. different element in, in, yeah. in demographic that we're serving, but I, uh, you yeah. know, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's yeah. more of a, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, success in the yeah. Airbnb um, short-term yeah. rental model with, with those tiny yeah. homes, you know, little communities and developments. And, yeah. But again, just, it's a good option, but probably not as good of an option as, as yeah. what the traditional mobile home is right now, even with the, even with inflation, you know, we can get a mid tier quality build, um, three bedroom, two bath, single wide was, which is just shy of 1100 square feet, um, for right around $60,000. Yeah. So, and, and, yeah, you know, that's, two years ago, that was 45,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's still un, unbeatable if you look at the yeah. space that's out there. Yes. Um, so last time you were on Kevin, we were talking about parking lots. You shared your, uh, your ebook with the audience. So if you want to check it out, you can go back and listen to, um, his, his prior, um, uh, podcast there. You got another book coming out. I love it, man. Every time you come out with a book, we're going to have you back on the show. Um, tell us what <laughs> readers will learn when uh, they read the cash flow investor and, and what's in your new book. Yeah. So, you know, Chris, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of my equal amounts, my story over the last 20 years, kind of my progression through single family and then realizing the bigger picture and getting into commercial real estate. Um, but then in addition to that, I'm, I've, I've been doing my, my podcast for almost nine years now, which is crazy on uh, January. That's amazing. Will be I love nine, it by the way. It's one of years. the first, yeah, it's one of the first, uh, real estate Thank podcasts you. I consistently listen to. Yeah. So I've interviewed some really cool people, you know, just uh, over the years and have, have taken, you know, tidbits and advice and strategy from, from all those various conversations and you know, a lot, a lot of friendship, friendships and partnerships have been actually formed through those many years of those interviews. Amazing. And, um, and I, I just, I've put it all together. And a lot of our business is built around those fundamentals, all those things I've learned over these last 10, 20 years. And so it all gets dumped into that book. But in addition to that, um, I also really go into depth and in, into some of my favorite commercial asset classes. I mean, obviously mobile home parks being one of them, parking being another multifamily is one of them, but we, we, we go into specifics as to why I've got five in there in total. And I'll, I'll keep the other two secret just so I encourage people to go with the book, but really going into detail as to, you know, one's not necessarily better than another. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a million different ways to make money in real estate. I think commercial real yep. estate's the way to go. Um, mobile home parks aren't better than multifamily. Multifamily is not better than mobile home parks, parking. And then again, there's a couple others in there that I really love, but you know, you, I think my objective with this book was to kind of teach you the path I took, show you some of the options that are available of, of assets that I really love and that I think are very viable today and, and, mm -hmm. and have a great opportunity associated with them for you to find that path forward. And then pick your lane, pick, pick one, maybe not one of those five, but just here, here's five options, but pick one and go all in on it. And, um, Love it. you know, I, I think that's the, and so I, I wouldn't say it's a beginner book, but ultimately I a great pathway for those that are maybe looking to play a bigger game and, um, and, uh, and, and have determined that it's commercial real estate, but really haven't got there yet. So I love it. And look, if you're listening today, you know, you've heard a little bit of Kevin's story. The thing is, you, he can't tell you all his experience and everything that he's learned over the past couple of decades. Get his book. Um, we're going to tell you how to get it here at, at the end of the show and, and give you a link. But don't 
Don't make all the same mistakes I did. Don't make all the same mistakes Kevin did. Learn from our mistakes. Take the shortcut. Get his book. You'll, check you'll it still out. make them. You'll still make yeah. some. <laughs> Dude, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But don't make them all. I mean, if we're not making make mistakes, Chris, we're not growing. That's right. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I tell my boys. I'm like, look, if you're not losing, if you're always getting 100% on your tests, you're, you're not learning. You're not growing. You got to fail. You got to fail to grow and learn. And it's like, you know, you get that last rep in the gym. It's like, well, that's great, but try the last rep where you need yeah. need a little bit of help and you can't get it up. Then you know you're you're uh, you're pushing your limits, right? My wife doesn't like when I use that analogy when one of the boys fall on their butt. They're trying to do a jump or something. I'm like, they're fine. Let them do it, you know. And they, they it's good for them. Or, yeah, that's it. It is. I I, I believe I, that to a certain extent. I mean, I'm not going to let them jump off the roof of the house or anything. But there you go. <laughs> you know what? I it's it's that's that's got to be that motherly instinct. I think the same thing. You know, they come home, they had a little issue at school, and I my wife's like telling me she's like, oh, it's terrible. I'm like, that's great. I'm just glad they're doing it now at 12 instead of 24 because, yeah. you know, the consequences just get bigger and bigger when they get Absolutely. older in life. So, but, um, um, well, wonderful. Uh, Kevin, what's the best place for listeners to, to check that book and get a copy of it? Yeah. So you can go to kevinbupp.com forward slash freak, um, grab a copy of it, download a copy, and then kevinbupp.com. That's my main website. I host my yeah. podcast on there as well. And then if you have an interest in what we're doing in the investment space, you can go over to invest sunrise.com and there we've got any of the current offerings that we have available and it talks a little bit about our business model both in the parking and the mobile home park sector wonderful and again i've i've been listening to kevin's podcast for years it's been one of my favorites check it out uh you can take it real estate investing for cash flow which is right behind him if you're watching if you're listening uh, you can check that out again that link is down in the show notes here it's kevinbuck.com forward slash free book uh get a copy of his book the cash flow investor and kevin it's been it's been wonderful having you on today before we let you go um, you and I are both cyclists. I, I mean, I've, I've had a lifelong love of the sport, um, ever since, uh, I learned to ride. It's just that sense of freedom and, um, what it's done. I know this year you guys aren't able to complete your ride, but please tell the audience what you do with respect to your, your charity ride every year and how they can learn more about that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I appreciate that, Chris. And, you know, yeah. I, I just like Chris had mentioned, he's got a love for cycling, as do I. And I put together a charity ride. This year would have been our 11th year of actually uh, putting the event. It's actually our 12th year, but one year we had to cancel due to a hurricane. This year, unfortunately, due to Hurricane Ian, we, ha we had to cancel yeah. the event, which was supposed to be next weekend. But ultimately, we ride from Fort Myers Beach, um, Florida, which is here on the West Coast, um, down to west about 285 miles over three days and and raise money for cha two charities that are near and dear to my heart both are related to children and uh, ultimately feeding during the holidays and providing the necessary life skills to you know find their path forward outside of uh, outside of high school into college or, or you know the military what have you and so the phenomenal two charities that we support and um yeah it's just been a you know it's interesting you you bring you, you asked me about it. i'm glad that you did but i really reflect back every time i talk about this I, the reason i not the reason I started it, Chris, but I've, I've been involved in these two charities for many years, um, personally helping with them. Uh, one's, one's run by my good friend, Rod Cleef, and then one's in the Rod local yeah. you know, Tampa Bay charity. And, uh, and I had personally been involved, um, you know, physically helping with these charities over the years. And 2008 happened, and Rod used to fund the Tiny Hands Foundation, his charity. He used to fund it out of his own yeah. pocket, and um, he lost basically everything in 08. 
And it went from feeding, you know, we went from feeding like 3,000 families in a holiday down to like two or 300. And I started mm -hmm. the ride because at that point I lost everything as well. And so Rod and I were both broke trying to figure out ideas of, of how can we, you know, give back more because we, we didn't really have the infrastructure in place to bring in outside sponsors. And that's why I started the ride. I said, you know what, I literally, I, I, I'm, I don't have, I've got my, my, myself and my being uh, to offer. And so how can I leverage that into, you know, helping raise, you know, money to feed, feed these families during the holidays. That's where the, the ride was born. Um, you know, first year that we did it, we literally had eight riders. I was about to cancel it. I'm glad I did it. And now every year we sell out thereafter and, uh, have raised uh, hundreds of thousands, I think close to half a million dollars at this point in time amazing. for these various charities. And it's been a, it's been a great ride. So That's I appreciate you bringing it up and let me talk about it. Oh, absolutely. What's the name of the ride again, Kevin? It's called 72 Hours to Key West. And you can yeah. go to 72 hours to keywest.com if you'd like to learn more about it or if you'd like to join us next year. Hopefully you will. Chris, yeah. you got to come down and join us time, my friend. I, I would love that. I would love that. And that sounds like a great movie, too. 72 Hours to Key West. Sounds like you could turn that into another movie. <laughs> and look, if you haven't, Rod was on the podcast. Listen to that episode. His mindset is amazing. I mean, yeah. from a guy that lost what is like $50 million, yeah. it is it is incredible the uh, the positivity that he shows, the gratefulness that he has. Yeah. Um, and he really talks about the power of vision, um, giving back. And Kevin, I know you you have a lot of those uh, the same traits, the same mindset. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and that attitude with the audience today. Well, Chris, thanks for having me, my friend. It's, it's been a pleasure. Always welcome. Have you back soon. Hey, Chris here again. I hope you found this episode valuable. Now I have one more thing to give to you. We have a page for my coaching clients where you can get a free copy of my book, as well as much more from previous guests on the show. Just check out nextlevelincome.com slash coaching to get a free copy of my book, audiobook, and much more. I'll send you a copy of my book and cover all the shipping costs as a thank you for listening to the podcast. Also, please like, share, and take just 90 seconds to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts.